good. It's, it's good to sing the praises of Jesus, and uh, who is the Lamb. That's uh, what we've been singing about. The Lamb of God speaks of, it's a title, but a description of who Jesus is, the one who took our sins as a sacrifice. He's a lion as well. That's another title in the Bible that speaks of his kingship and reign. So what a great, wonderful saviour. Just to mention a highlight one or two other th- uh, things or perhaps re-emphasize um, so next weekend we, we put this in the bulletin for you it's um, about net uh, netherside um, that's up in grassington and uh, there there's this bible in the dales it's it'd be a great time if you can go if you'd like to go either saturday there's uh, a celebration on sunday evening as well or five o'clock monday we, we sort of and we thought we'd make it an of a, a church family day if you can make it to go um, there's special programs on with illusionist Todd Alexander will explore the theme of what's real what's simply illusion and how can we trust the reality of the Christian faith so um, we, if, we're going, if you're going to go on Monday we're going to meet there at 11 o'clock and it'd be great for a family or church family um, or, or, or a lady or a woman even you can all go okay and uh, be great also um, if you don't if you would like to go but you haven't a lift and you'd like a lift then have a word with Suzanne or if Suzanne's not here uh, Judith um, and we'll try and fix up somebody with a spare seat if you if you know that you're going and you're able to offer a seat in your car can you have a word with us as well in case there's one or two who need lifts uh. so that's the next weekend and then the following weekend we've got this guest service and uh, we're going to dedicate as well Bonnie uh, Lee and Reza's little child yep up back there and uh, it's a special guest service we're going to do a few of these these are different services we're going to call them I'm calling them Sundays sorry story Sundays and I've just asked the one who's going to come and speak to tell his story and it's Lee McDade um, he's the Sazra man we had him on a Sunday evening really interesting fantastic story and uh, he's going to come and tell his testimony so if you there are some invites there please take one they're in the back there if you can use them to invite some friends and uh, or a friend a family member or somebody neighbor to that story Sunday there'll be more of that through the year there'll be one or two extra and then the week after that that's a fortnight is that three that's three weeks today isn't it we're going to start this life explored course and there are invites to that as well uh, this is a sort of an opportunity to explore the Christian faith, what it means. So it's an outreach sort of type of um, course, and it'll be very interesting, raising the issue of where our happiness really is found. Uh, can it be found only in God? And so it's kind of uh, raising questions. So please uh, be in prayer about that as well, Life Explored. That's going to run at the same time as our Sunday morning services. Um, here at, um, um, at church. So let's uh, turn to God's word. And I'd like to read from John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, 
And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. I think I'll stop there a moment. <laughs> we're obviously having trouble with the sound desk. It's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll. We're, we're having our normal sound desk repaired. So this is a, a backup, um, which obviously has got one or two problems itself. Um, it might be the uh, time mic, so we'll go for the uh, main mic. So we'll pick it back up. Um, let's have a see. Verse 7, or verse 6, I'll go back to verse 6. And Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when this Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there weren't so many... The net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray again. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, I ask for your help. And, uh, Lord, for that you would help me as I share the things you've laid on my heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us about this restoring of someone who failed so terribly. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us Lord, to not only understand what's being said, but Lord, to apply it to our hearts and Lord, to be able to respond with love and joy to all that you ask of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing our series on journeys and uh, we, we've looked at the journey of Mary Magdalene and of uh, John and uh, we've uh, looked at, uh, this is the, and, and this now is, is the journey that Peter took from failure to fruitfulness. Last week we looked at the uh, journey of Judas from hope to despair. Peter had gone back to Galilee because that's where Jesus had said, go back and I'll meet with you. And so Jesus had gone back, so Peter had gone back to Galilee and on this occasion he's on the seashore and uh, he's there with James and John. There's Thomas Nathaniel and two of the disciples, so there's seven of them all together. And, and while they waited for Jesus to appear, they decided, well, we'll occupy our time, and they went fishing. That was their former livelihood. They knew what that was about, so they could do that, and they went fishing. And as they fished, not far from the land, Jesus appeared on the shore, and he was waiting for them, and he had a cooked breakfast ready for them. So he had on the, on the uh, uh, fire there, he had fish, and he had some bread ready. Where had he got that from? We don't know. Maybe he created that. We, we don't know. While they were having breakfast, Jesus turned to Simon Peter, and he said to him three times, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me? Now, there are three aspects I want us to look at about that question, just that one question. We're going to look at the tone of the question. We're going to look at the meaning of the question, and then we're going to look at the answer to the question. So first of all, the tone. How did Jesus ask that question? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What was the tone of his voice? You can ask questions in different ways can't you you know you can ask a question in an accusing way almost you know, why did you do that you know what on earth are you doing that sort of thing how, how did Jesus ask this question well I don't think it was a harsh tone I don't think it was that 
I don't think it was an accusing way that Jesus asked that question. Because we can see that in the way that Jesus responded to the Peter's answer. Each time, Jesus very lovingly, very compassionately said to Peter, okay, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, look after my, my, my people, care for them. This was all about Jesus restoring Peter and, and getting him back on track and helping him to be the person that God wanted him to be. If you remember, it, it had been three years when, Jesus, when, when Peter had first been commissioned. Back in, uh, it's in the early parts of the Gospels there, uh, Mark 3 I think it is, where Jesus had said to Peter and to Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, Peter and Andrew, had, had, they'd forsaken their nets. They'd followed Jesus. And Jesus had commissioned them. So the early time, three years ago they were commissioned. Here in John 21, they were Peter was being recommissioned. And if you're going to be recommissioned, that must mean that something's happened since you're commissioning. Something's, un, not un, well, is it uncommissioned? I don't know what it is. You've been un, decommissioned. Okay, something's happened. And I'm sure you're familiar, or many will be familiar with the story of Peter's denial. Just after Jesus had been betrayed by Judas and then had been arrested, Peter had followed and he had gone close to Jesus' arrest. He was in the courtyard where the other people were. He was warming himself around the fire. And he was questioned about whether he knew Jesus, whether he was a follower of Jesus. And he denied knowing Jesus. And he denied knowing Jesus three times. But not only did he deny it, he denied it with swearing and cursing. And then immediately after he denied three times, what happened? The cock crew, as Jesus had said. And that was Peter's moment of greatest failure. That was his weakest point. Peter's story is our story. We failed. We're weak. We know what it is to stumble. No, no, we, we know what it is to experience failure in our, in, our, in our Christian lives following Jesus. We all know that. We're not unlike Peter at all. And I think that's why we love Peter. That's why I love Peter, because I can see myself in him. You know? This is a, this is a humbling story. It's, it's full of, of, of Peter's weakness. But it's not the end. By the time we get to the end, it's a thrilling story. It's a wonderful story of recommissioning, restoring, renewing of Peter. And thankfully, that's a story we all know as well. If you've been on the Christian life at any length of time, you'll know what it is to have to go to Jesus and to ask to be restored, renewed, recommissioned. I think if there's, if there's one lesson from Peter to learn or one of the major lessons, it's the danger of overconfidence. There is a danger, you know, we can be a bit overconfident about our love for Jesus. You know, it was Peter who said, you know, though everybody else is going to desert, I'll never desert you, Jesus. And yet he was the one who buckled under the pressure. He was the one 
who gave in. He, he overestimated his strength. He overestimated his commitment to Jesus. He thought he was more committed than he was. And you know, that's a danger. We, we, we can be a bit too overconfident sometimes of our devotion to Jesus and to think that we love him more than we do. And maybe we look down on others who don't do that, who don't love as much, if you like, or perhaps do other things that we wouldn't do. I think we're never more vulnerable than we feel that we're strong, than when we feel that we're strong. We're never more vulnerable than when we feel that we're strong. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Paul said this, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That, that means I, I have to always be on my guard. I need to listen to Jesus' words there. What did he say? Watch and pray, lest you enter into tempt, uh, temptation. The, the, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. I've got, I've got a weak flesh, I know that. My sinful self is weak. And if I, do, if I give it an inch, I will fail over and over again. So uh, we just need to be depend. We, we we need to be reminded of our dependence on on God, on His strength, day by day. I think that the prayer in the Lord's prayer is, is something. It could be our. It needs to be our attitude. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's sort of an attitude of heart for every day. But there's something else to note just before we move back onto the restoring. About Peter's denial. Just turn, if you've got a Bible, to Luke's Gospel 22. Luke 22, verse 60. Now only Luke mentions this of the Gospel writers. I think this must be one of the most poignant sentences in the New Testament. Luke 22, verse 60. So this is part, we're coming in part way through Peter's denial. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Then Peter went out and wept bitterly. So it describes what happened just after Peter had denied Jesus three times. It says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Just as Jesus, just at that moment... Jesus had been, was being led across the courtyard to be crucified. And he turned and looked, and if you like, caught Peter's eye. Now, by this time, Jesus had been brutally beaten. He'd been punched in the face. He'd been spat at. His face would have been battered and bloody and bruised. And as he's led across the courtyard, 
If you like, look, looking through that, those swollen eyes, the spittle and the blood. He looks at Peter and Peter sees that look. And it breaks him. I wonder what sort of look it was, if you can. I suppose it's speculation. But I, again, I don't think it was a harsh look. I don't think it was an accusing look. I don't think it was any sort of look like that. I really do feel it was a sad look, but it was a, a loving look. It was a compassionate look because it broke Peter. And it made him weep bitterly in despair and brokenness. That was the denial. And then, just a few days later, Jesus has risen from the dead. And they're on the seashore. Peter's there. I, 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 I believe Peter was still a broken man. I mean, he'd been one of the closest confidants of, of Jesus with Peter, James and John, the three of them, even more so than the other disciples. So how could things ever be the same again? How could he ever look the others in the eye for a start? What did Jesus think of him now? How could he ever serve as a disciple, even as a leader? You know, his, pub, his denial had been so public, it had been clear, people would have known about it, all would have heard about that. He'd lost faith, he'd lost his reputation and their respect. So if Jesus was going to fulfill all that he had planned for Peter, there had to be a restoring. There had to be a, a public restoring. He denied Jesus publicly, so there had to be a renewing of him publicly. And Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? How many times? Three times. How many times had he denied? Three times, one for each denial. So that's the tone of the question. Secondly, the meaning of the question. What did Jesus mean? Back in John 21, Jesus asked this question. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. What does he mean? What does he mean by these? Do you love me more than these? Well, some think he was probably pointing to the other disciples. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these love me? Maybe. Was that what he was thinking? After Peter had said, look, if all, even though they're going to de desert you, I'll never desert you. What he was saying is, I love you more, Jesus. <laughs> and so maybe the question was, now Peter... Are you able to say that you love me more than these love me? You once said that. Now then, do you love me like that? Or could he, was it a question of just, do you love me more than you love these disciples? Do you love me more? These are your, these are your friends. There's Andrew, your brother. Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your friends? It, it could have been that. Or, it may not have been the disciples that Jesus was gesturing to when he said that. Maybe he was pointing to the fish or to the boats. 
You know, it's Peter who said, let's go fishing. That was his, if you like, his default position. He, maybe he'd gone back. Maybe the smell of the sea and the, you know, the lure of the boats and the business had drawn him back. And so maybe Jesus said, do you love me more than these? You know, your, your business, your, 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 the, the things that you're making, your, 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 your life long habits, as it were. Do you love me more than those? Which was it? The answer is, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't think anybody does. And I'm quite glad it's, it's a bit ambiguous, if you like. It's, it's an open-ended question. Because, actually, I think the question encompassed everything. Gee, Peter, how much do you love me? Do you love me more than anybody? Than your family? Than your friends? Do you love me more than your vocation, your business, your life, your material things? Do you love me more than these? You see, the word that Jesus used, that word love, do you love me, was the word, it's, it's you know, there's different words in, 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 the, in, in Greek, isn't there, for love. And he's using the word agape, which is the love, which is the highest love. It's God's love. It's divine love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved, agape, the world. God sacrificed himself through his son. It's the word that Paul uses in Romans 5 verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's that love that Jesus was asking of Peter. It's, it's the love of the first commandment. You shall love agape, your God, with all of your heart and mind and strength. And so, so in, in other words, the love that Jesus was calling Peter was a, was a greater love for him than anything else in his life. That, that's, that's the question, actually, Jesus asks of you and me. And he asks me. Very strongly, as he asks you, maybe today, do you love me, Jesus says, in that, at that level? Do you, do you love that? Do you, it's not wrong to love your family. It's right to love your family. But do you love Jesus far more than your family? Far more than anybody else? Do you love Jesus? You know, it's, it's, it's good to... We, we, we have, we're human, aren't we? And, and, and our, our friends, and, and it's right, and there's a good love for that. But do we love Jesus? Does our love for Jesus outstrip everything else? That's, that's what this is all about. Alexander the Great was a, uh, well, he was a renowned leader of armies, and he, through his armies, his Greek armies, he conquered the, the known world. It says by the time he was 33, they'd gone through all the known world, there was nothing else left to conquer. And he was known as a brilliant leader of men, and his men would follow him anywhere. And the reason for that was because he would only ever command them to do what he himself was willing to do. You know, so if there's a long day's march and, and, and over burning sands, one thing they knew, he would march with them. He would walk with, by their side. If they were thirsty, they knew that he would be thirsty. Once when someone brought a cup of water for him 
as the leader, he put it aside, thirsty as he was, and said, look, give it to the sick soldier. As long as he was with them, they would do anything. That was the devotion because of who he was. And, and, and that is a very, very, very inadequate example of the love that Jesus calls from us. When he said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? He was asking for total undivided commitment and loyalty and devotion. So that's the meaning of the question. Just lastly, thirdly, what about the answer? How did Peter respond to the question? It's there in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you agape? Do you love me with that divine, sacrificial love more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Significantly, Peter didn't use the same word. I'm sure some of you know that. He, he didn't reply with that same word that Jesus used. In the Greek, there's agape love. That's, the, that's divine love. That's God's love. There's also filio love. Greek word filio. It means love for each other and affection and consideration. It's a, it's a lovely word. It's a beautiful word. It's a good love. It's not a bad love, it's a good love. We should have that filial love for each other. But that's the word that Peter replied with. It's like a love of close friends. He said, Peter was saying, I can't love you like that. I could just love you like that, but not like that. I'm sure that if if Peter had been asked that question three days earlier, he would have said, yes, I can agape love you. But he's he's failed, he's he's broken, he's, 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 he's been exposed, his heart's been revealed, and now he can't reach that love. And he says, no, I I filio you, I love you like that. His self-confidence was broken. You know, he thought it could be so strong. But he realized now he was weak. He didn't even claim to have that love, that agape love. And so he said, Lord, I have great affection for you. I love you with a filial love. And Jesus graciously said, feed my lambs. But Jesus didn't leave it there. Because he asked him a second time, verse 16. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Agape, he held him to that standard. He held him to the divine, that sacrificial, all-giving love. He said, look, you're saying you can love me like that. I want you to love me like this over everything. And Peter replied, in the way that he replied before. Yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. I'll have a chat afterwards, okay? 
I feel you. I love you with that level. I can only love you like that. He was saying, look, you know my heart. I can't, be, I can't, I can't say anything else. That I'd love to love you there, but I'm going to love you at that level. So Jesus asks you and me, do you love me, Jesus says, with that agape love? It's not to crush us, you know, it's not, it's not a question not to, to, to actually floor us at all. It, it's to inflame our love for him. I do think it's wonderful that Jesus values our love. He values your love. He, he wants you to love him as, his, as your Lord and Master. I do believe Jesus would give this opportunity. God is given an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I love you. I wonder how we would reply. What's the level of our love? But then we come to the, dane, to the third way that Peter answered and Jesus asked the question. Verse 17. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, for the third time, do you love me? Interestingly, he comes down. The word he uses is filio. He comes down to Peter's level. Doesn't use the word agape. Do you love me with that filio love? And it seems to me, it's as though he's saying, okay, Peter, I, I know your heart. I know that you'd love to be up there, but I'll come down to your level. I'll, I'll take whatever you can give me, if you like, in that way. You can give me that love. I'll receive that. I'd love that. That's what I really want. But if you're going to give me that, then... That's where I am, and I'll take that. I'll, I'll receive that. And it's so good to know that. God knows our heart. He knows what we're like. And I've I promised to love the Lord so many times, and I've promised, Lord, I'm, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do this, and I'm going to promise that I'll keep faithful. And then I end up, after a while, failing. And... and, and, and I, sometimes you come to a place where you don't even know your own heart. You, you don't even know that you can trust your own words. You know, you, your words can seem hollow, can't they? And empty. And, and Jesus said, look, whatever you can give, I'll receive. I think one of the dangers is that we, we, we tend to think that agape love is beyond us. So we give up. I, can't, I just can't give that. I, I'd love to, but I can't. And so many people, many Christians, sort of, they, they, they feel, well, there's no point then. That's for somebody else. But actually, it's as though Jesus loves you wherever you are. And he'll receive whatever you're able to give, however you're able to commit, whatever you're able to do. But it's got to be practical. Because Jesus said, okay, Peter, do you love me with that filial love? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know, I love you with that filial love. And Jesus said, look, okay, feed my lambs. Do something about it. 
You know, don't just say it with words. However much you love me, act on it. Do something. Use what you have. Feed my lambs. I love, I love the story of William Carey, and I read this recently. William Carey, he was in the late 1700s. He became known as the father of modern missions. And William Carey, he, he was born into a desperately poor family. And uh, he had a very poor education. He became a shoemaker, cobbler. But that didn't pay the wages, really. For, or it, didn't, it, it didn't meet their needs of the family. He was married, but he had a desperately unhappy marriage. He had a daughter who died in infancy, I think, I think about three years old, when one of his, or a daughter died. But he was deeply committed to Christ. He was a Christian. He considered becoming a minister, but his sermons, by common consent, were too tedious and boring. So he, 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 he was ve- it was very unpromising, his, his, his background and his experiences. But in spite of all of that, he formed a missionary society, society with himself. He was the only missionary that went out. And he set sail for India. And over many years, he lived and worked as a missionary in India. And by the end of his life, he translated the whole of the Bible into six different languages as well as translating parts of the Bible into 29 other languages. At one stage, he lost 10 years' translation work in a fire. Now, I know what it's like to lose half an hour's work on my computer. It's devastating. But he lost 10 years' translation work in a fire. What did he do? He started again. And on top of all of that, there was his missionary work, there was his contributions to literature, to, to agriculture, to education, to uh, literacy, and also to getting infanticide, um, the, the, the killing of babies, outlawed. And his obedience and his perseverance was used to impact the lives of literally millions of people. And you think, what a wonderful example of love, agape love that is. Well, towards the end of his life, he heard that one of his supporters wanted to write about him. And so he, he wrote back, and this is what he said. If one should think it worth his while to write my life, I will give you a criterion by which you may judge of its correctness. If he gives me credit for being a plodder, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond will be too much. I can plot, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. For uh, Moses, English's second language, to plod means just to do it very slowly, step by step by step, to persevere, not to give up, not to do anything dramatic, just to keep going. And he said, look, I'm a plodder. And he accomplished all of that. We might think that agape love, that's too high. Can't do that. 
Well, actually, maybe God just wants you to plod, just to keep going, just to persevere. Not to give up. Do what you can. Use what you can. Use what God's given you, your gifts. Maybe you've got one gift, you feel, your talents, your energy, your time, your money. Whatever it is, use it. Let your love be put into practice. And when we do that, that's when we experience the beauty of fellowship with Jesus. And the love of Christ floods our soul. He wants more than mere words. But he does want us to say, I love you. I might not get there, but I love you here. And he says, fine, I love that. So Peter was restored, he was recommissioned, and his usefulness was renewed. And because of that, God massively used him, didn't he? When I preached at the day of Pentecost, 5,000 were saved. He preached another time, 3,000 were saved. And then he went and opened the, go- the gates, as it were, to the Gentile world, to you and me, by going to Cornelius. And eventually, he was According to the historians, he was crucified. He didn't think himself worthy to be crucified as Jesus was. So he requested of his executioners that he be hung upside down on the cross and crucified upside down. But he was restored. Maybe someone here this morning, you need restoring. Maybe you've been away, I don't know. Maybe you, you feel in your heart that coldness maybe something's coming and and the the word comes to you do you love me I want you to love me Jesus says that well the opportunity is to be restored and all we need to say is Lord I love you or I love you or I love you and he will receive that let's pray let's just be quiet The Lord hears our faintest cry and knows our heart. So if God's been speaking to you as he spoke to Peter in a personal way this morning, then in the quietness you respond with whatever love you're able to give. Because Jesus wants to restore you and renew you, recommission you. And for all of us, let's seek to love Jesus more. Let's pray for ourselves in that. Father, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to have our uh, lives examined by your word. That's what your word does. It shines light on us, Lord. It uh, reveals the depths of our heart. So we thank you for the searchlight of your word.
Thank you, Lord, for the joy that it brings, for the comfort and the encouragement. Also for the conviction and the correction. And Lord, we we do feel very much like Peter in that we want to say that we love you. But we know that we can't claim to have that highest love. To say that we've reached the peak of our love, we, we can't say that, Lord. So, Lord, we say, would you receive the love that we can give? We thank you that you love us with an incredible love and a love that never changes. And that love is a a love that wants always to restore and to renew and to recommission so that we not only walk with you, we can be used by you in loving service. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you do use failing people. Lord, if you didn't, there wouldn't be anybody left. So Lord, thank you. And Lord, we pray that As with Peter, in everything we do, it would be motivated by love for you. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The band would like to come out and we're going to sing. I'm going to sing an old hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. It's a a poetic way of describing Jesus dying for us on the cross and where he shed his blood. His blood was shed. That was important. And it says, sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And we think of that as salvation, but isn't it great in our Christian life, all the guilty stains of our ongoing life can be cleansed and washed away. So let's take this Maybe to speak to our hearts as believers as well, if we know the Lord. And then it says, "Ere since my faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. It's the blood of Christ. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So let's, uh, let's fill our hearts with thoughts with the love of Christ and our love for him. So let's stand, shall we? Let's sing this. Dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to hang around here at the front a little bit longer if anybody wants to chat or pray and do uh, come forward.